Man, I'm excited to preach today. I don't want to belabor anything because I have to tell you, I feel like preaching today. I really believe this is a word from God and you're going to leave encouraged and better than the way that you came in. Amen. So uh, go with me to Matthew chapter 15 across every location. In fact, if you got a Bible, would you wave it in the air like you just do care? Come on. Even if your Bible is glowing, let me see it. <laughs> Matthew chapter 15 today. And I want to look at verses 21 through 28. Matthew 15. We'll start at verse 21 and land at verse number 28. And when you're ready to read it, say, yeah. If you need some time to find it, say, hold up. Oh, that was a lot of hold ups. <laughs> and I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to wait for you <laughs> to find Matthew. Amen. Let's look at what it says. It says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. The Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and is suffering terribly. And Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed six weeks later. Oh, I'm, I'm tripping. These are new glasses. Hold on. <laughs> and her daughter was healed four days. Y'all don't have that version. Hold on. Let me read it right. And her daughter was healed at that moment. It's almost like what she said in verse 28 activated the miracle at that moment. I want to preach today across every low campus and even to you at home uh, watching in your bathrobe. I want to preach from, the, from this subject. Get to stepping. Get to stepping. Would you look at your neighbor, whichever one you like the best, and uh, get in their face, get in their personal space. Come on and tell them, neighbor. Come on, don't be afraid to talk to them. Say, neighbor, I got a word for you. Get to stepping. Ooh, now, come on, give God some praise like he's going to speak today. <laughs> Father, thank you for your word. Speak to us clearly today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. I don't want to preach before I preach, uh, but just watch this real quick. Hear me, God will often use desperation to push you into your purpose. God will often use desperation to push you into your destiny. In fact, watch this. Desperation is the door that breakthrough walks through. Ooh, I'm going to say that again. Desperation is the door that breakthrough walks through. Some people wonder, how come I hadn't got my breakthrough yet? Sometimes it's because you hadn't got downright desperate enough for God to do it in your life. Because desperation will open up doors that complacency will keep shut. 
I'm telling you, I, I, I travel and people will often ask me, Robert, where's your favorite place to preach? Your favorite place to preach? And to be honest, I struggle to name a place because I want to articulate to them that the effectiveness of preaching and ministry has little to do with an address or a destination of a place, but everything to do with the attitude and the disposition of the people that are in the place. Come on, I would rather preach in a basement with three desperate people than to preach in the Bahamas with thousands of bougie suck-up people who act like they don't need God to do anything in their life. But if you give me some desperate people, miracles will break forth. If you give me desperate people, signs and wonders will show. If you give me desperate people, the atmosphere will shift and change and God will show himself strong and mighty when you're desperate. <laughs> That's a good sermon, Cliff, ain't it? It's actually a good sermon. It's a good sermon. A at least I thought it was. I, I thought it was until, until after I preached that message, uh, I did what every confident, uh, emotionally healthy, and secure pastor does after you preach a message. I went to YouTube to look at the comments <laughs> underneath that sermon. <laughs> to see what random strangers had to say about the message. And in full disclosure and honesty, 99% of the comments were positive. Comments like, that blessed me. Comments like, whoo, what a word. Praise hand emoticons and fire emoticons. But those aren't the comments that I have saved on my phone and I want to read for you today. Now, now remember, in, in the clip that I showed, and that was the clip, not the entire message, I said, and I quote, I would rather preach in a basement with three desperate people than to preach in the Bahamas with thousands of stuck-up bougie people who act like they don't need God to do anything in their lives. That's what I said in that clip, okay? Now, understand, for all purposes of clarity, um, I was simply saying that as a communicator and a pontificator of the gospel, that a meager but eager audience in a basement would be preferred than a large apathetic audience in the Bahamas. My juxtaposition of the Bahamas and the basement was solely to compare contrast a magnificent environment with a mundane environment. I was in no way, shape, or form trying to denigrate Bahamian people or basement people. I was just using two places that started with the letter B. But anyway, listen to the comments that came from it. Ooh, this is straight from the comments. It says, in the message you mentioned the Bahamas, stating that it has stuck up in bougie people. How can a pastor say those things about a country? Have you met everyone in the Bahamas? Very distasteful of you to make those statements. As a Bahamian, I am offended and owed an apology. Next comment. You have greatly offended a large group of Bahamians with your comments about the Bahamas. Bahamas. Next comment. The expression on his face when he delivered that line about my people tells me everything I need to know. That was flesh coming through and not God. Hashtag apology required urgently. Wow. Just wow. Sad he used this platform to offend hundreds of thousands of people. There's about a thousand more comments where that came from. People, there was one dude that got on Facebook and is trying to ban my ministry from ever preaching in the Bahamas. 
And the irony is, the irony is, is I would love to preach in the Bahamas. I would die to preach in the Bahamas. You saw the overcast when you came in. I would leave y'all right now to go <laughs> preach in the Bahamas. Oh, but isn't it sad? Isn't it sad that so many people missed, hear me, the transformational truth of an entire message, not because it couldn't be comprehended, but because they were offended. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, we are now living in the age and the culture of offense. Have you noticed that everybody everywhere is offended about everything all the time? It is as if victimhood has gone viral and being easily offended is no longer seen as a weakness in your character, but is rather your constitutional right to get offended. So as a consequence, we are no longer living in the USA. We are living in the USO because everybody is in the United State of offense. Everybody is offended. Men are offended. Women are offended. Millennials are offended. Baby boomers are offended. Democrats are offended. Republicans are offended. Uh, saints are offended. Atheists are offended. The New Orleans Saints are still offended. Everybody is offended. Americans are offended. Native Americans are offended. African Americans are offended. Latin Americans are offended. Jamaican. I mean, I'm going to stop with the nationalities because there's a whole lot of them. But I promise you, after this message, somebody's going to watch it and say, he didn't say my nationality was offended. I'm offended. Everybody. It's offended. Vegans and vegetarians are offended. Oh, come on. You heard about this, right? This is a true story. A group of vegans, a group of vegans are now calling for the removal of meat-based metaphors. They're demanding an immediate ban on phrases like, don't put all your eggs in one basket and bring home the bacon. They're rallying for less offensive and more health-conscious phrases like, bring home the broccoli. Animal rights activists have jumped on the same bandwagon. Backed by PETA, they feel that some of our commonly used phrases and idioms are offensive and are encouraging animal cruelty. Phrases like, you're beating a dead horse and you can kill two birds with one stone should be removed and replaced with, you're feeding a fed horse and you can feed two birds with one scone. That is a real article. And I see some of you laughing and saying, oh, come on, that's them vegans, them animal rights activists. That's silly. Understand, that's silly to you, but it's serious to them. In fact, a group of them were recently arrested because they were going to steak restaurants and on speakers playing the sounds of cattles being slaughtered. And when the managers of these steakhouses said, no, nah, y'all can't do that. Y'all got to move <laughs> they refused and got arrested they went to jail over this it's silly to you but it's serious to them and this is this is what offense is about is that an offense that's serious to me might be silly to you an offense that's serious to you might be silly to me but every person in here has some little button that if the right person on the wrong day when you forgot to pray hits that button you'll find yourself going off and it'll be in a jail cell right next to the animal activist. 
Because all of us get offended by something. You ever remember that game Operation? That game Operation, just before Fortnite. Uh, Operation, it, it, you had to get those tweezers, right? And you were trying to get the heart of the rib. And if you hit the wrong spot, all of a sudden the little character on the game board's nose would light up and turn red. That's you. That's me. All of us have some type of offense that if the right person hit it the right way, your nose would light up like Rudolph. What do you do with all of the offenses? I love our text in Matthew 15, but in Matthew chapter 24, the disciples come up to Jesus and they ask him, they say, hey, Jesus, what will be the sign that it is the end of the age? How can we know that you're about to return? And Jesus gives a litany of things that they need to know about. He said, let no one deceive you. Many will come in my name saying that I am Christ. He says, nation will rise against nation. There will be earthquakes and diseases and all these dramatic things. And if you read Matthew chapter 24, you can get so distracted by all of the crazy things that are going to happen as a sign of the end of the age that you'll miss Matthew 24. He says, oh, and many will be offended. Jesus says, the sign that I'm about to come back is that many will be offended. And I think he's about to crack the sky because everybody is offended today. It's in Luke 17 as well. This time Jesus just talks to his disciples about it. Look at what it says in Luke 17. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, he's talking to disciples. Any disciples of Jesus here today? Okay, three of them. Anybody actually a disciple of Jesus? Okay, so he's talking to disciples. If you're a disciple, listen. He says to disciples, he says, it is impossible. It is impossible. This is Jesus saying that something is impossible. Think about that. What is impossible, Jesus? To raise the dead, heal the sick? No. It is impossible that no offenses should come. Jesus says, I guarantee you somebody is going to offend you. He said, it's impossible for offenses not to come. He says, if you are breathing, somebody is going to offend you. It is a promise. He guarantees you somebody's going to get on your last nerve. He guarantees you somebody's going to send the wrong email to you or the wrong text message. He guarantees you your spouse is going to offend you. He guarantees you you're going to be at the mall and somebody's going to see you about to turn in that parking spot and just try to slide in. And he guarantees you you'll be offended he later says but don't let those offenses come through you he said don't you be the one going around offended people but he said it is impossible for you not to be offended offenses will come but I did notice in the text he did not say that it is impossible for you not to get offended he said offenses are gonna come but he did not say it is impossible for you not to get offended because there's a difference between an offense and offended. Uh, can I teach a little bit in here today? Offense and offended are two separate and distinct things. Offense is it happened. Offended is a reaction. Offense is an event. Offended is a decision. Offense is you did it. Offended is I'll never forgive it. There's a difference between offense and offended. So Jesus says offenses, those are inevitable. But offended, that is optional. And if offenses are inevitable, but getting offended is optional, that means it is plausible and possible for you to live your life unoffendable. Who, preach Robert, Jesus says, that I have a grace and a power that very few believers tap into, that you can go through your life in a culture where everybody's offended by anything, you can actually be unoffendable. 
So the question I've been waiting all week to ask you across every location, you ready? Here's the question. What is your current level of offendability? I know offendability is not in the dictionary, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> what is your current level of offendability? Here's my question. What does it take for you to get offended? The only reason I'm asking is because Jesus asked this to me. At the beginning of the year, I was seeking the Lord for direction for my own life. And he said something that blew my mind. He said, Robert, your current level of offendability is too high. He said, I got big things in store for you, massive things in store for you, things that your eyes have not seen and your ears have not heard. He said, but I'm having to delay the big thing because it takes the smallest thing for you to get offended. He said to me that it is your level of offendability that is an indicator of the level of your spiritual maturity and that God will often put your miracle on the other side of an offense so that you will have a decision to stay small where you are or to grow up and get over it. I ain't gonna get a lot of amens, but this ain't an amen sermon. It's a surgery sermon, so it's cool. And when God said that to me, I didn't shout, I didn't clap, I didn't do the Holy Ghost two-step. I got offended. I said, God, what you mean my current level of offendability is too high? Oh, I got some. I didn't talk to God for two days. Oh, yes, yes, he offended me because you do know that Jesus can offend you. Oh, Jesus knows how to offend you. Oh, can't nobody offend like Jesus. You understand, some of you think it would be an indictment against your faith to say that Jesus offended you, but I would dare say that if Jesus has never offended you, then you don't have relationship with Jesus at all. Oh, come on, somebody. Offense happens in the context of relationship. You can't get offended unless you're in relationship with somebody. Relationship is the context of offense. You don't get offended in isolation. You don't look in the mirror talking about, I can't stand what you keep doing to me. No, it's in the context of relationship. And the higher the relationship, the greater the relationship, the greater the level of being offended. That's why some people would rather stay in isolation and you have chains and, and locks around your heart because you would rather be isolated than to run the risk of being offended by somebody else. So you have plastic, phony relationships because you don't want to get offended, but offense is in the context of relationship. And that's why nobody can tick you off like your spouse and your savior or somebody you love. All I'm saying is we all have offenses. I'll take those three claps. We all have offenses. Sometimes the offense is coming from people and sometimes the offense is coming from Jesus and sometimes it's both at the same time. And that's exactly what is happening in our text today. The Bible says this woman, this Canaanite woman, she walks into the house with Jesus and his disciples this day. And the reason the Bible tells you she's a Canaanite woman is because you understand that for centuries, for centuries, the Israelites and the Canaanites had tension, years of offense, years of racism, years of fighting. And this is the environment that this woman walked into. In to. Do you know how much courage it took this woman to walk into that room that day? Have you ever had to walk into an environment and you knew the people in the place didn't like you? And were rolling their eyes and sucking their teeth, but you had to walk in anyway? Hello, because your check was in there or something. <laughs> this is the environment that this woman is walking into. What would make a Canaanite woman walk into the house with all of these Israelites? Oh, I'll tell you what it was. The devil was messing with her baby girl. 
on, how many know when somebody is messing with your child? Oh, come on, stuff will come out of you that you didn't even know was there. Come on, where all the parents at? Would you make some noise at your boy today? I, I didn't know this till I had kids. I did not know this. It is one thing for the devil to attack you. It's one thing for the devil to attack your business or your Honda Accord. It's a whole other thing when the devil starts messing with your child. Oh, come on, have you noticed you can say stuff about your kids that if somebody else said the same thing, Oh, you will turn up. Now, don't talk about my child like that. Oh, your kids will make you call into work late and say, I'm going to be late today. Walk right in the classroom and tell a teacher, what did you say on this note about my child? No, he's creative. You don't know how to teach. That's the problem. I'm telling you, your child will make you low kick an eighth grader on the playground. Say, I wish you would mess with my kid again devil was messing with her baby so she walks in this room she said suck your teeth if you want Peter roll your eyes I know I'm a Canaanite but Jesus son of David have mercy on me the devil is messing with my child and I heard you got the power to heal the sick and to cast out demons so if you're still in the demon canceling business please tired of you messing with my baby girl and she cries out to Jesus, and Jesus hears her. But when she said, can you do something about my baby girl, Jesus pulls out his phone. She says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. My, my baby girl, can you do something? Jesus. Oh, you think I'm playing? Verse 23, it says, he answered her, not a word. Have you ever had to deal with the offense of being ignored? I wish I had time. When you know you cried out to God for something, he didn't say yes, he didn't say no, he just said nothing. And you know he heard you. This is the offense of being ignored. I'm so glad, that's my father, I'm so glad that he brought this out here because the word offense actually in the original language is a stumbling block and that's what an offense is. It's, it's like a stumbling block and I'm glad my father brought this out because he did this all the time when I was a kid. I, I would ask him, I would ask that Nigerian man a question, a simple question like, hey dad, there's a party uh, at a house with people you don't know. I know I'm 16, but I'm grown and there's a party and uh, it's going to end about 2 o'clock in the morning. Can I go to this party? And he'd be reading the paper and he would put down the paper Look at me. And then go right back to reading the paper. And not to ignore. Have you ever felt like God is ignoring you? He hadn't given you any direction. Have you ever felt like people are ignoring you? Like, don't you see the gift that I am? Can't you acknowledge me? Don't you see me? Oh, the offense of being ignored is a serious offense. In fact, I think I would rather be rejected than ignored. Because at least when I'm rejected, I know where I'm staying. It's like, okay, you don't like me? Okay, bye, I'm good. But when I send you a text message and you don't say nothing, and then you got the nerve and audacity to have your phone set where it tells me that you read the message, you saw it. Say something. She dealt with the offense, being ignored. He answered her not a word. You didn't ignore the woman with the issue of blood, but you're ignoring me. 
you didn't ignore the blind man, but you're ignoring me. And if that was me, <laughs> and I came to Jesus, and I told him my baby girl is dying, and he ignored me, Oh, I said, okay. Oh, oh, you don't want to speak. That's cool. I'm fine. I would have got to step in. I would have left. But not this woman. She stayed. And apparently she stayed and kept asking and kept asking, even though she was ignored. And Jesus doesn't even respond. But his disciples responded. He's like, okay, this woman ain't going nowhere. Felicia is not leaving. <laughs> So we're going to have to take care of, no, Jesus, Jesus, we got you. We got to chill. You keep ignoring her. We got you. Disciples, and I want you to see what the disciple says. Disciple said to him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. After us. Really, disciples? Where in the text did this woman say that she needed y'all to do a miracle? Oh, can I preach a minute here? See, this is the problem with a lot of people who are around Jesus and represent Jesus. See, before you know it, they get it twisted, and you think that just because you represent him, that somebody wants you. I didn't come to see you. I came to see him. You ain't got no power. In fact, if you move out the way, I can get to him. Oh, come on, somebody. The disciples, hear me, and I got to hurry, represent the offense of an institution, the church. Have you ever been offended by people in the church, the institution, not by Jesus, but by the people who claim to represent Jesus? Isn't it funny? The disciples, the ones who were rejects themselves, the ones who nobody else wanted, who Jesus pointed them out, they were just fishermen. And he said, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Isn't it funny? The very ones who were reached out to are now rejecting somebody that is reaching out to Jesus and they represent the offense of church hurt. You'd be shocked at the people not in this room today who don't want to grace the doors of a church, not because they don't love Jesus, but because the people that represent him have offended them. Oh, can we talk about it? There's people in this room still now who are still trying to get over the offense of somebody who claimed to represent Jesus. But instead of representing him with his character and his love and his grace, they were the first ones to say, send her away. She cries out after us. Don't nobody want you. We want Jesus. And if I can speak to those of you dealing with church hurt and somebody from the institution that offended you, I am not belittling what they did. The church must represent the nature and the character of Christ. But can I say to you, never project the character of man onto Jesus. Oh, can I say that to you? I'm not saying it didn't hurt, but don't project the character of man onto your God. And can I say this, that often God will use the church to heal your church hurt. And there are no perfect churches. Actually, there are, but there are no people in those churches because people are not perfect. And if that were me, oh, and I come to Jesus and he ignored me, and then his disciples rejected me, oh, I would have got to step in. I'd be like, oh, no, okay, cool. You don't want to speak, and then your little groupies want to try to send me away. Okay, no, it's cool. It's cool. Wait till I get on my Instagram page. I got something to say about I would have got to step in, but not this woman. She didn't leave. She stayed. 
And because she stayed, God spoke. When she stayed, he finally spoke. I want to say to somebody today, if you'll stay, he will speak. If you will stay planted, I'm telling you, God will speak. Some of you stayed and you said, God, you didn't speak. He said, no, you were waiting for me to show up on your time schedule. But I need you to develop a faith that says no matter what comes against me, no matter the hurt, the offense, I'm going to stay planted in the house of God. I am not leaving. If you stay, he will speak. Oh, but look at what he speaks. He says, I've come only for the lost sheep of Israel. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. That statement speaks, hear me, to the offense of insignificance. In that statement, he is making this woman feel insignificant because he's essentially saying, watch this, girl, I'm not here for you. I am here for the lost sheep of Israel. I am here first for the Jew, then the Gentile. He's saying, your urgency is not my emergency. I am on assignment. I first got to minister to the house of Israel, and then I'll take care of you. But from her vantage point, oh, you're saying I'm insignificant? You're only here for the lost sheep of Israel? I got to teach a moment here because how many know whenever you incur an offense, offense, O-F-F-E-N-C-E, it's often like, oh, S-E, spelling, help me. <laughs> it's often like, it's often like offense. A space F-E-N-C-E, offense, offense. Whenever you get offense, it's like offense. You, you remember Home Improvement, that show, Home Improvement? <laughs> remember, I never watched it, but whenever it was on TV, this dude right here messed me up because I was trying to see what was going to be the episode. I think his name was Wilson. Where they were going to show his face because he would always be behind a fence. And that's what an offense is. It's like a fence. It, it blocks. But how many you know there are two sides to every fence. And sometimes when you have an offense, you only see your vantage point and you only tell the story from your vantage point. Hello. That's why whenever I hear something somebody said, I want to ask, did they really say that? Or is that what you heard? Because there's a difference between what was said and what you heard. You got to get on the other side sometimes to see the perspective. So from her perspective, it's insignificance. But from Jesus' perspective, it is not insignificance. It's just precedence. He says, I am here first for the Jew, then the Gentile. I'm not saying you're insignificant. I'm just not here for you first. I'm here first for the house of Israel. Okay, I lost some of you. Let me make it real plain. Okay. Let, 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 imagine that you break your leg. You break your leg and you go to the emergency room after you broke it. And they're about to roll you in to take care of your leg. But all of a sudden, a gunshot wound victim comes in. Gunshot to the head. And all of a sudden, they roll you to the side, give you a bag of ice, and they take the gunshot victim. And, and wouldn't it be crazy and asinine for you in that moment to go, Oh, you're just going to take care of them instead of me? Oh, no, get me off of this bed. Forget y'all. I guess you don't got love in this hospital. Y'all don't care about me. And limp out. No, boo-boo. It's just that they take precedence. We're not saying your leg is insignificant. And in this narcissistic, selfie-saturated society, that's me, me, me first. Sometimes when people don't give you precedence, you think you're insignificant. And it's not insignificance. It's just precedence. He says, I'm not here for you primarily. I'm here first for the house of Israel. So that's insignificant. And if that was me, whoo, I would have got to step. I said, hold up. You're going to ignore me. Your disciples reject me. And you're going to make me feel insignificant. Oh, I am done. I'm out. Peace. I would have got to step in. Not this woman. She turns it up a notch. The Bible says she gets down on her knees. 
she changes her posture. She starts to worship. Oh, how many know, you know you're on the edge of your breakthrough when you could have walked away, but you decide to get down on your knees and worship. And she just says, Jesus, help me. She cries out again. And Jesus, he turns it up a notch. He says, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Ooh, bring out the last one. This is the offense, hear me, of being insulted. He called Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the compassionate and loving Savior, called this woman a dog. If you study this text, one of the first things you will see is every scholar and theologian will tell you, well, he did not use the common term for dog. He actually used the term that denotes a pet dog. And that's true. But as I was reading, I say, what does it matter if it's a regular dog or a pet dog? A dog is still a dog. You can't hide it. He insulted this woman, called her a, a pet, a pet dog. If that was me, oh. I would have been gone. I'm gonna, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're going to ignore me? Your disciples reject me? You make me feel insignificant? Look at all these offenses. And on top of it, you're going to call me a dog, a pet dog? Oh, I would have got to step in. And I think that woman probably wanted to get to step in. I think she probably almost turned away and said, no, he don't want anything to do with me. Going to call me a dog. I ain't no dog. dog. Wait, he, he called me a pet dog. Call me a pet, pet dog. That, that's messed up. But, but there's a difference between a pet dog and a stray dog. See, 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 a stray dog doesn't have a place, but a pet dog has a place. A pet dog has a shelter. A pet dog has protection. Wait, wait, wait a minute. And, and a stray dog has to, has to go through trash cans and find little bones on the side of the street or whatever. It can scrap up, but a pet dog gets whatever falls from the master's tail. Oh, I see what you're doing. You're trying to get me to walk away. Oh, no, I'm not going to walk away. I see what you're saying. You're saying it don't matter if I'm a dog. What matters is who my master is and as long as you're my master you can call me a dog wait a minute these are not obstacles these are actually opportunities I'm not going to get to stepping I'm going to get to stepping I'm going to get over the fact that I was ignored I'm going to get over the fact that your disciples and the church rejected me I'm going to get over the fact that I was made to feel insignificant I'm going to get over the fact that I was insulted and hurt because even our savior hung on a cross as he was insulted and still said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I got to get to stepping. And at that moment, come on with my miracle. That's when her miracle came. As soon as she got over it, somebody give God some praise in this place. The miracle. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in here. The miracle. The miracle wasn't activated until she got to stepping. And I came to tell you that your miracle is on the other side of your offense. I know you had a lot of offenses and some of you have already done. You said, forget it. I'm walking away. I'm going to get to stepping. And I came to tell you, no, don't get to stepping. Get to stepping. Get over it. I'm not saying it didn't hurt. I'm not saying they weren't wrong. I'm saying you got to get over it. 
because your miracle is on the other side of your offense. Offense is an event. Offended is a decision. And you can make a decision when the offense comes, say, I'm out, I'm going to get to stepping, but you're going to miss your miracle. But if you'll get to stepping, your miracle is on the other side of the offense.